0: The time is now.
1: What is the secret to success? Movement. Yeah.
0: People look at you strange, saying you change. Like you work that hard to stay the same. Like you're doing all this for a reason, reason. Hard work. Yeah. Works. This podcast is brought to you by Kalsika Fit App. Uh, that's right, we got an app also. The Fit App gives you unlimited access to over 100 high-quality fitness classes. And you can choose from a mix of spin, strength, TRX, hit, yoga, Pilates, meditation, mobility workouts. We got some new content coming out. I just did a DJ spin class that's going to be coming out pretty soon. So check all those things out. Download the Kalsika Fit App. Go to Apple Store, go to the Google Store, Android Store, and you can get it all done there. It's very simple. It's our Netflix version of fitness, and point and click, and have fun. And by the way, it's less than fifty cents a day. Yeah. I want to welcome you to the latest Trainer's Talks. My name is Donovan Allman. I'm happy to have you join me today. Um, Today's podcast kind of goes a little deeper uh, with what's going on in the country from an a injustice uh, point of view. I have two conversations, one with Meg Heights. It was really just one question that she asked me um, after we did our interview that came out a couple of days ago. Um, that's on the podcast, the last podcast. And she asked me a question about George Floyd and this was, she asked me this question um, shortly, we, we did this shortly after um, the incident in George Floyd several months ago. And, and so I think it was very poignant and I've already recorded this intro, but I had to re-record it because of the Jacob Blake incident. I just felt like it was very poignant to what we're talking about today. And I think it's this, it's an opportunity to kind of hear some of my thoughts, but also get the thoughts of, for of, uh, Meg, but really get the thoughts from um, an in-depth conversation I have with Chief Mitchell Saleya, who is the Chief of Police for Calistoga. Um, he had, uh, he has a great, interesting background of, of being a cop and and a perspective being able to speak on some of the things he's seen. Um, We talk about the George Floyd incident. um, And we also talk about the struggles that cops go through in trying to balance out the things that they even know that's wrong with, with the injustice that is happening. So sit back and enjoy that conversation. But before we get into the the Meg conversation and then the uh, the chief conversation, the idea that I had to re-record this because this type of stuff continues to happen. I mean, and it's, it's the frustrating part of it is there's a helplessness to it. There's a, and I'm a person of action. I'm a person of, you know, if we have a goal as a team, we work together, we figure it out. And I think the system of what we have is, is big and it's, um, but we still are struggling with the idea of it being an issue for certain people in the country. And that part is a struggle to me, um, but that's what empathy is. And, and, and sometimes when, when the flag and the country is put higher than what I consider the golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated, it, I think you run into these issues and we're seeing it. And we're seeing um, a level of misunderstanding and ignorance um, and racism. That it's showing itself more and more because people are picking sides that shouldn't have a side to it. It should be a unanimous type of thing if you're really for better policing and you're for um, a better criminal justice system. Like why who would not want to improve that so that it doesn't see color, so that it only what happens to a white criminal happens to a black criminal, or what happens to a black citizen happens to a white citizen, and vice versa. And if if a cop who does something egregious, I think this is like the biggest sticking point for a lot of African-Americans, and I'm gonna speak more for myself, even though I'm African-American, I I wanna speak for myself on this. The issue I have is that the accountability for people who are not doing a good job is not there, or the punishment for it is very reduced for the action that they incur. So with all that aside, sit back, listen to this uh, kind of one question. It's only about five, five, six minutes with Meg. And then we get into a longer conversation with Chief. Um, these are also on YouTube too, if you, if you wanted to see that. But uh, check this out. Um, send me any questions you might have directly if, if this sparks any questions that you wanted to know. And enjoy. You know,
2: we posted on on Instagram um, what keeps you up at night, and yeah. it was the video of George Floyd. Floyd
0: yeah.
2: And um, as horrific as that is, um, I, 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 what can we do to to create a better world where this kind of police brutality against people of color? Yeah. What can we do? I mean,
0: I I think um i think the most important thing is to act like it's. is is first you got to realize and and understand that you can do two things at once you can support police officers but at the same time you can say that there's a systemic problem with how they Mm -hmm. interact Mm -hmm. a decent percentage enough that how they interact with african americans um, and people of color is harsher than how they react with other mm-hmm. um, races. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, that, I, I feel like you you have to at least say that that is the case. You can say two things or you can do two things at once. Just because you say that, we were talking about favorite players, just because I say LeBron is, is one of my favorite players doesn't mean that I don't think Michael Jordan is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so two things can can happen and i would say that's the first part of it and then and then when you recognize it call it what it is and try to support those entities that will try to change the mindsets of those people and encourage um you know you know supporting your police department with uh you know them encourage them to have education and and, and and being in communities where they have to get to know the people that they're serving mm-hmm. and, and recognize that they're serving these people they're not they're not here to just um, be Then and arrest them it's also about building a community mm-hmm. and I think you know I think locally like the Calasica the police they try to build a community there's some of the mm-hmm. cops that I know
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I think you got to do more of that. You got to get out there to know who is your... Because if you know, if you know, okay, if I know you as a kid, if I get involved with youth sports, mm-hmm. and I know this is John, mm-hmm. and then when John is 18 and he does something slightly sideways, like, John, I know who you are. You shouldn't be... Or the... I know your mom. You shouldn't be doing this. And Sometimes things can be policed without taking it into an administrative level or a physical level. And uh, And so... I think I think the biggest thing is just say this is happening mm-hmm. and then support when you see the opportunities if you're in position of power or position as a voter mm-hmm. vote in a direction that puts people on notice if they do things like that. yeah that's what I'd
2: read <laughs> yeah I
0: mean
2: I, I think the whole country wants something to happen you know I mean
0: yeah
2: definitely um, he should have
0: justice. Yeah, yeah. But. Yeah, and I I think I think and that's the thing like the, the country wants that now. But this, you know, this is one of those things that has been
1: yeah. has
0: been going on for mm-hmm. for years and I think I think a good you know, you know, just kind of off the top of the head, but you know, I think women have been trying to fight for certain equalities. Mm-hmm. But they've been fighting for that for years and decades and and things like that and certain things have improved and certain things still haven't Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing i think the hardest Mm -hmm. thing is that that thing of what happened with george floyd Mm -hmm. has been happened it 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 doesn't seem like it's changed too much Mm -hmm. and i think it will start to change when those people are you know brought to justice Mm -hmm. you know through the system Mm -hmm. accordingly and if 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 they're treated like any other person would be, um, or, or how an African American would be treated in the system, if they're treated the same way,
1: yeah, then it's it there's there's some
0: some some equality there, and right. there just needs to be a little bit more equality in how, mm-hmm. when that happens, when somebody does something terrible at their job, and more than terrible, something horrendous, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you just gotta call them out on it and. Have them go through the process, don't make them special, uh, but have the system be improved to a way where it it treats that cop as if somebody else who was off the street, who did the same thing, who was in an authority position and, and, you know, took their power to a level that they shouldn't have.
2: Mm -hmm. I agree, on all your points.
0: Well, that was a good one as we hit the road. Thank you again,
2: Meg. Yeah!
0: Hello, boys and girls. I want to welcome you to another Trainer's Talk. Um, this is going to be a really good conversation with uh, uh, Chief Mitchell Saleya. Soleya? That's correct. And uh, so we're going to sit down. We're going to have this good conversation talking about some current event stuff, but also really want to just kind of get a chance to no, chief i had a uh, time to sit down with him a couple of weeks ago and we were able to kind of chat and i just really thought his insight his background would be really helpful and times are going on now but really about looking towards the future so thank you again for joining
2: oh i'm, I'm honored to actually be take part of this it was y- awesome I'm so, and i'm glad i didn't scare you away
0: yes okay. you know <laughs> you know that's uh that's kind of funny that that's the first thing I wasn't planning on talking about that, but you know, I I found it um, Well refreshing but also in, in a in a way when Chris Canning the mayor connected us and um, In a way when we first were deciding just to casually meet before we did this, you know, we met not too far from here um, You asked like where do you want to meet and you asked? You know we can meet at the park maybe you'll be more comfortable with feeling going to the park versus coming to the station and you know you know why do you think uh that was you know why why did you throw that piece into it why do you feel like you know you're comfortable
2: well i think i'm i believe i'm very cognizant of particularly when you meet somebody how they take you and and for some people, going into a police station is not the first thing on their list. Exactly. And it, and it can be intimidating. There's some people that you know with uniforms, and if there's people with guns walking around, uh, I mean, I've had I've had employees in the past, that records people, that really real nervous around officers. Yes. Who carry weapons. I go. Okay, you know, you're working in a police department, right? Yes. And officers walk all around. So, so I'm kind of cognizant that you know, and we had just met. Yes. And, and I don't, I don't know what your your uh, exposure has been—you know—you didn't know me before a week and a half ago, so exactly. Uh, well, and I want—I wanted you to be comfortable, and I think that that's, uh, that's the reason why I.
0: Lost. Yeah, you know, and I thought I thought it was uh, I thought it was just an interesting take, and we in talking. Um, tell me, where did you grow up?
2: So I was I was born in San Jose but I lived most of my life up in Northern California in a place called Yuba City, uh-huh. which is probably about 40 minutes to an hour north of Sacramento. It's a rural place. Unlike Calistoga, yes. um, it is uh, farmlands, rice fields, orchards, things yeah. like that. And I lived in the country. So uh, uh, it's uh, that's what I called home. But actually, when I look back at my life, I lived more longer in the Bay Area than I did in my younger life. Yeah. So I guess. It, you know, but I always think back. That's where I come from.
0: Totally, totally. And before you came to Calistoga, you were the chief of police at Berkeley, correct? Or,
2: the University of California. Uh, Berkeley.
0: U- University UC, of Cal- Berkeley. UC Berkeley. And you know, um, tell me about the early days of you being an officer. What got you into becoming an officer? And what was the kind of uh, things that really got you, like, I can make a career out of this?
2: Well, you know, I think I was kind of an anomaly. Uh-huh. Um, I've always wanted to be an officer. Yeah. And, and I don't want to dig too deep into my psyche of why that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot had to do with my upbringing. Yeah. Uh maybe we'll talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah. Later. And dive into that, actually, because explain, I think, I think your upbringing is unique Um, And I think it adds a lot to the table of you uh, being an officer, having that upbringing of seeing different demographics and, uh, you know, uh, so tell me a little bit more, what was about your upbringing that you feel like helps you as a cop or has led you to be a cop?
2: Well, first of all, let me say that uh, I truly believe that uh, your experiences and the people you associate with. You know as you grow up kind of define who you are yeah kind of your perceptions how you look at things you know those kinds of things and and as and I think in when I now look back I didn't have an appreciation during my upbringing yeah but as I look back uh, I think I was I benefited from it and I was pretty fortunate however I have to say that I would not wish aspects of my upbringing or life on anybody yeah um, we were essentially you know we were poor when I, I joke you know I lived in a trailer in a barn yeah you know early on my my dad was a mixture of mexican and native american Uh Uh, my mom was mexican uh, but adopted um and uh i have i'm the oldest of three boys i have two other two other uh uh brothers and a younger sister she's the baby and uh my dad had a temper like you wouldn't believe Uh especially when he drank yeah uh he was an alcoholic and uh Frequently engaged in domestic violence. Yeah, as the oldest one. I was typically the focus. Yes uh, being drugged out of bed and you know, maybe not so many things happening to me and uh, You know just threats and I've got scars and things to, sh- to show it not you know, and back in those days I that was life. Yeah. Yeah, and, but getting back to your question. So why so for whatever reason in my head, it'd be like You I watched TV. It was Adam 12 yeah it was dragnet yes you yeah. know and so it was just like i want to be an officer you yeah know? one because i think it sense of, uh, of authority and protection and those kinds of things yeah and it kind of stuck with me you know throughout my you know uh secondary school high school uh getting into rop programs with law enforcement and, and uh, that was my goal in life and it yeah had Been my goal you know throughout my life you know I went to a junior college and uh, took administration of justice and criminology for myself through the police academy. I uh, was fortunate enough to get hired at UC Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, I'm not trying to analyze myself, but I just, I just think that that had a lot to do uh, with my mindset. And although farm, work, farm labor is a, is a honorable job. I learned really quick. That's not what I wanted to do for <laughs> a living. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a long road to get where I'm at, but uh, you know, I, I say sometimes I survived that, that road. Yeah. But, uh, but I think I benefited from it because it gave me a, a different perspective and insight, you know, when you're talking to victims or looking at that. You know? Yeah. Uh, so.
0: Is there like a level of empathy you feel like you, if you compare an officer who probably didn't go through the same uh, things that you did maybe who went through a more stable kind of upbringing and maybe middle class or something. Comparatively, do you think there's a level of empathy that you see when you address somebody who's probably in your same situation when you were a younger kid?
2: Oh, definitely, I think so, particularly when it comes to domestic violence or crimes against children. Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't have flashbacks to my younger years. Yeah. but, But, you know, I... In many cases was in those same positions totally so I was hiding under the bed yeah and my dad dragged my dad dragging me out yeah and you know doing saying crazy things and and uh you know i got hit by a shovel on my hip you know from my dad he just got all ma- mad and yeah um so so I, I think it just gave me a lot of empathy and uh an understanding of what kids go through what families go through and that it is tough to kind of break that cycle
0: yeah And how long have you been the Chief of Police at Calistoga?
2: So I've been the Chief of Police uh, coming up on seven years. I I started here at the beginning of 2013, January, as the Chief. Yeah. Uh, I was the Chief at UC Berkeley for about three and a half years. But I had a career there of about uh, almost a little over 30 years. Wow. Where I moved up the ranks. Um, um, Officer, field training officer, detective, sergeant, lieutenant captain, assistant chief, and then the of the chief. Wow, uh, And uh, and that was just another stage of my life that I think I learned t- just a tremendous amount of things about people and how to interact with people and, and you know, kind of looking at law enforcement and things that I thought we needed to, to do or change or how we should act.
0: Yeah. And we, when, in our um, previous conversation, you talked about one of the things, you know, being in an area of uh, High-level academics. Sometimes there's also a level of paralyzed by the options, they're paralyzed by the academic uh, type of situations. And you, you were able to kind of bring a more common sense. Let's. I think. I think breaking down what you talked about, how you looked at the options. I think you were saying three. if You don't mind talking about that a little bit, how you thought about those things.
2: Well. I think I'm a pretty simple guy yeah I'm not the sharpest tool in the toolbox yeah and so I always go back to you know what common sense is understanding that common sense isn't common yes
1: right? <laughs> yes and good judgment yeah
2: and uh, I, I always look at things to break it down into simplest form as far as you know because I always think the simple approach is usually the a better approach yeah um, and so when I was at UC Berkeley I was it was, it was funny I look back on it now and every time I moved up in rank Yes. I was like, wow, I'm kind of on them. I, I don't, I, like, I didn't deserve to be where I was at. Yeah. Right? Because, there was a lot of smart people there. I mean, yes Like, way smarter. Yeah. Nobel laureates, the chancellor, all these people that were administrators were just brilliant. Yeah. Right? So I was, and, and I would be in meetings and things like that, and I was, I was the only brown person in the room, and everybody yeah. was twice my age, uh, for the most part. Yeah. And so I, I, I took a couple things away. One is to have a very uh, basic approach of looking at whatever the problem was and you know I always wanted to see have them see me as a problem solver yes so I would you know well here's the issue Um, here 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 the you know three approaches or three options I always try to do three this it's not always possible yeah of how we can handle this and this is what I recommend always give them what I recommend but they got they get the choice yeah and one of the things and no offense to the academics because they're just brilliant people I work yes with, is uh they want to talk everything to death yes you know well, let's let's look at this and let's talk about that and how about this and you know well you know i think we need to study let's put a committee together for this or task force and i'm like um you know this is <laughs> this is happening like right now yes right and uh, and so i would push it and go like okay in about sometimes in 10 minutes The landscape of this issue has changed. Yeah, totally. So so we need to make a decision and and which led me to follow a rule of mine, which is kind of a 70 30, sometimes 60 40 rule, which is, you know, as long as I had 70% of the information, make a decision. Because what I what I found is, is you never have 100% of the information. If you wait for 100%, you'll never make a decision. And that's what I was seeing in these committees because they, We need to look look into this and make sure we have all the facts well we should always do that yeah but you know things are moving they change and so you know you by the time you come up with a solution it was for facts that are no longer the facts
1: yeah yeah
2: now that now that it has changed it's escalated or de-escalated and and what you decide may or may not be appropriate yeah so
0: that's that's interesting and you um Chris and you know making this introduction and uh he was telling me and we talked about this a little bit but tell me about your current family that you have uh you know you have kids of your own and your your wife tell me a little bit about that that scenario and your background there
2: so when I look back at my life I find it somewhat interesting so back in Yuba City you were either white Mexican or East Indian Uh uh-huh Yuba City that was it I had there was one African American kid in my in my elementary school, and it was because he was adopted. Yeah. And in my high school, I could probably count on five fingers, maybe other brown people. Whether yeah. Whether it's African American or even Asian or any other class. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm saying all this because I go to Berkeley in 1982. <laughs> yes. And uh, it is I to tell you the facts or the truth you would not believe it it was it was it is the most diverse place on earth I think yes um, socially economically uh, you know races people from different countries you know whether you're gay lesbian queer you name it I mean it just whatever you decided to call yourself what group you was there in Berkeley yeah uh, and a, and a pretty good large population significant of African American yeah so when I get to this place I'm like, wow. You know, uh it was it was it was unique. But coming from simple backgrounds with very monotone, you know, yeah culture experience, uh I marry my beautiful wife who's Cape Verdean, but as most people will see, she's African American. Yeah. Which leads me to having three boys yeah. who are black. Yeah. And my daughter who we adopted. And she's part Filipino and part Mexican. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, again, it kind of put to my in front of me issues. Yeah. Right? Because you know, working with officers, you know, it, it's funny how people get intimidated by people. Yes. And and you know, and skin color sometimes does that. Yeah. And so, and I've seen it, and you know, and uh, and I'm just transitioning to my boys. Where, yeah. We're basically adults now, and I and I and I go like, you know, I worry about them yeah. in, in the world because you know my youngest boy, who is who is 19 and as goofy as can be, as sweet as can be, but he's like 6'3 and about 250. He's yeah. a big boy. Yeah, and he's got an afro. I I kid you not, that's like to hear, and he's extremely proud of it. Yeah, but he doesn't have any cultural awareness to his afro. His yeah you know, it's just a cool thing yeah and he, and he gets a lot of attention because people talk to him about it yeah and he's but if you don't know him and if you see him walking down the street i'm going to guarantee you there'll be a number of people that will cross the street yeah you don't have to walk by him
0: yeah it you know kind of transitioning we talking about i think the, the george ford incident which i feel like is a is a spark even though you know these type of things happen um, more than than that but that for sure was a spark within um, the country um, I like to say personally when I when that one happened um, I there was a very strong sense of despair um, you know there's anger there was um, I, I, I think the thing is not somebody not having a fair shot and um, when uh, somebody maybe of a different race uh, has, would have that shot, would have the benefit of the doubt of just being cuffed, being uh, detained um, and going through the process the way the legal system should be. Um, what was your first kind of uh, reaction to that and what has been the reaction that you've seen from other officers and talking to them about the incident.
2: Well, I can tell you, you my first reaction was just. Disgust. uh, Anger, you know, I mean, it just, it was just appalling to me watching the video and seeing just the callousness displayed and the lack of profession of the officers there, they're kneeling on a person. He's handcuffed. The person is begging or asking, you know, I can't breathe or whatever. And, and you can't readjust. Yeah. You can't, you got two other officers there, you know, and for me. And one of my background is, I'm a, a defense, I was a defensive tactics instructor and a crowd control instructor. Yeah. Berkeley. Yes. <laughs> I love <at> Berkeley. You <laughs> he is. Yes. Um, I got thousands of hours of training and people that I've trained and things like that. And I look at that and I'm like, okay, how could that happen? Yeah. And, 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 and of course, another thing is like, oh, my God. Yet again, not even a black eye yeah. to the law enforcement. Worse than that. Yeah. I mean, you just... Because I can appreciate, you know, the, the anger and and the emotion and things like that. But you know, I mean, immediately it's like we're all get all law enforcement, including me, are going to get judged by that incident. Yeah. And and the other incidents that have occurred like that. And it's just heartbreaking uh, because you know, I, I read somewhere where you know less than two percent of those kinds of incidents. Make up cops. Yeah. Less than 2%. There are hundreds of thousands of officers. Yes. That do their job and they do it well. And, and an idiot like that, who shouldn't be an officer, um, does something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, there's got to be a reckoning for that. I mean, there's got to be, call it reform, call it whatever. You know, I, I just hope that, that, you know, we, and I know it's difficult to step back. And to say okay what does reform mean yeah what do we need to do you know and not have an emotional reaction where a pendulum goes all the way to the right or all the way left because there's always unintended consequences for decisions and policies and things that we make yes and uh you know i i first is officers should be held accountable agencies should be held accountable we should always be looking at reform we should be always looking at with a mindset of, how can we do our job better? Yeah. It doesn't mean we're not doing a good job or in some cases, maybe we're not. Yeah. But, but we should, you know, time moves and we should move as a, as I mean, we move as a community, as a culture, we should be moving as a, as a profession. Totally. And should always be looking at, okay, what's, what's relevant now may not have been relevant 10 years ago or five years ago, but now we're, we're in, we're in now space. Yeah. And what does that mean? and. uh so I think that it isn't a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. And it's not one thing, you know. I think that, uh, you know, people that shouldn't be cops should be removed and shouldn't be cops. Yeah. Um, policies should be reviewed, whether it's use of force policies or hiring practices or training. I mean, I think it's it's a it's it's a a number of things. It isn't one thing. And uh, you know, I just I, I you know. It, talked to my younger, my young staff. Yeah. And I said, you know, hey, put your seatbelt on and just hang on for the ride, and we're just going to see where this is going to lead. I mean, there's things in legislature, the legislature that's going to come down. Yeah. Um, and we'll and we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah. at the moment, I have, uh, I have eight officers, four of them are women. Yeah. I just recently hired uh, three of them. Yeah. Um. The. Half my staff has less, a third to 40% have less than six months of experience.
1: Wow. Yeah.
2: My senior officer, the officer has six years of experience. Yeah. Six years. Yeah. In Calistoga, you know, this is a job of doing. You know, the officers, the more they do, the better they get. Yes. They establish confidence, they can do that stuff. Well, there's an upside and downside. Upside and downside to that. I mean, it's a great community. So yeah, we get crime and there's the big thing that ha- bad things happen. That's the profession where bad things happen. That, yeah. I'm sorry, that's reality. But we don't have it all the time. And so so uh, we're always in training, you know, try to try to give them the skill set so when they these things do happen, yeah, they're prepared. Totally. And uh, this we have Unfunded mandates that officers are required to have training, yeah, and it's it's challenging for us. So, circle back down to your question is you know uh, I would look at uh, our salary and compensation yeah. packages, and uh, so we can retain the good people that we have totally and and attract people, yeah, even veterans or people with experience.
0: So ideally, if if um, how what what does a full staff under the, those types of recommendations, what does that look like? How many more sergeants or supervising type of and potential officers would that be?
2: Well, ideally, you know, it would be four sergeants. You know, practically, I could say that be that could be challenging if we had, you know, three and, and two corporals. I, got, I have one corporal filled now, to provide some guidance and some supervision and leadership yeah. to our young staff. Uh, we have a, we've had a Lieutenant's vacant position for, for the last couple of years. Uh, they were actually going to fill it, but then we got it and we went into a police alternative study. Yeah. And so, and I understood it that, you know, well, maybe we shouldn't hire a Lieutenant right now until we decide through this alternative study, you know, what is, what is the department going to look like or where direction do we want to go? Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, dedicated operations. The officers do a great job. Uh, when when significant things happen, they they do a good job. But, yeah. Um, but there's guidance that's needed, which is why I get phone calls at home. Yeah. Our sergeants get phone calls at home. Yeah. You know, as I tell my staff, you know, we can control our how we talk to people. We control how we interact with people. We may not always be able to control what what the individual brings to the table. Yeah. Right? Someone call it baggage or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and it's much easier to to escalate a situation than it is to de-escalate. So we should always start down and yeah. and and you know really look at the behavioral stuff to determine how we respond to individuals. But you know the young cops sometimes go like, I don't I don't know why that person was just being evasive or or you know or very you know, um say like they were scared or you know apprehensive? And then sometimes those those behaviors for cops. Turn off to be like well why why are you why are you acting so nervous yeah you must be hiding something you must not be telling the truth yeah when the reality is you're talking to someone who's come from a third world country where the officers were a part of the are usually the military and they're usually associated with death squads yeah and so so the fear that you're getting the apprehension that you're getting the evasiveness that that kind of stuff has nothing to do with you know the it's based on their experiences.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll put it even here. I mean, I do have a level of anxiety when a cop pulls me over. I, have, I don't have any record. I've been consistently a great citizen, um, but there is, and some of it, it can be media based. Some of it is real world based of some things I've went through, where you get that and you. You try to play it cool and I try to put myself, luckily I can try to put myself in the officer's shoes and I try my best to put my ego in the, the trunk and listen and, and, and because, you know, I have same thing as Mateo and, you know, you want, it's better to try to figure the situation out later alive than to try to argue through the situation in the moment where you can put yourself, both people in, in, a, in a danger point. So, um what um, let's talk about a little bit about uh the fitness side of law enforcement. So, you've uh spoke to me that the uh the officers here are doing a, a, a challenge right now. They are. Are they is that still going?
2: It is still going. They weigh in if I, I, oh, it's every 2 weeks or whatever. I think the weigh in is this and it's funny cuz in our dispatch center they have a tape square tape. Yeah. That's where the scale goes. Yeah. It's the same. It was a big debate on what scale they were going to use. Yes. And, uh, and uh, it's a certain time and you wear the same thing that you had on because it's all accurate. And it was like putting, you know, the Constitution together when they came up with all these rules that try to make it as fair as possible. But yeah. They're, they're probably in a, a couple of weeks into it and they're t- some of them are taking it as they should. Yes. Super serious as far as their, the, the kinds of diets or exercise programs they're doing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah they're all
0: they're all into it right now you is, know? well like almost kind of within this you know talk that we've had so far, like there's certain things that have kind of popped into into my head and and is there you know I don't know how much you've looked at other countries and how they police. Is there certain countries that you've seen do ways you're like, you know what that would be kind of nice that the level of training they either get or the opportunities they get to. To really sharpen their skills, because it kind of, it kind of seems that, um, and I don't know if this is the right analogy, but I think me and my wife have four kids, and they're all they're twelve and under, and trying to, to get them to be successful every day, is a day by day process, and it sounds like, almost in essence, being a cop. At least in calistoga, but also I've, I've, what I'm hearing within trends across the country and things I've, I've listened to that that is a similar trend that maybe there's some forces where you have the resources to be able to train and have the time to decompress after being you know doing a, a certain type of work uh, for a while. but it seems like it's a you you get up each day and it's a it's a grind. Um, I know I just said a lot there, but is there something to that? You know.
2: Oh, definitely. Um, You know, I I think like it's it's like everything is. People have to want to do it. They need to see there's a value to to their fitness. Yeah. And you know, and there's one thing I did I I did mention that I'm going to throw in that fitness has another positive component to it. It gives people confidence. Yeah. And. And not only that, it also gives you ability so you can do your job. Yeah. Because if, if if you're reasonably physically fit, you know that you can handle a confrontation without having to escalate it to something else. Yeah. Like, you know, like going to your baton or going to your taser or going to whatever, because you can actually control someone and put handcuffs on them. Yes. And not get it out. So, uh, you know, to me, confidence and and you know, your, your global fitness have a lot to do with that. Yeah. Because. Because if you're losing the fight or whatever, you're going to jump to the next level or two out. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then it becomes an issue well, was that really warranted?
0: Totally. Totally. Um, somebody asked me to kind of ask this question. It's more about, um, and I was thinking about the recruitment side. How do, you, how do you connect with Calistoga, and how do you connect with the youth of Calistoga?
2: Challenging for me since I'm like probably ten times older than th- than th- them. Um, I try to sort humor. I try to you know uh, participate in organiz- in organizations in Calistoga as an example. Um, I'm on the emeritus board for the Boys and Girls Club. Yeah. Uh, I think I shared with you a couple weekends, two weekends ago. Uh, I did because we're learning how to now do this community outreach on a you know. Using technology, yeah, and so participating in some Zoom presentations with local teams yeah, and one of the topics was, um, you know, the George Floyd event and protests and Black Lives Matter, yeah. And, you know, what do you think about that, Chief? And and uh, you know, um, so engaging them, um, engaging you know the youth that way, you know, be trying to be as part of the community, even though I don't live in the community. Yes. Um, I know a lot of people would like me to live in the community, but I have another boss. Yeah, yes. <laughs> my other boss would rather not commute farther to her to her uh, work, and my and my kids go to school in Solano County. Yeah, but uh, uh, participate in Rotary, so um, uh, sit on the uh, a, a number of committees, local community communities such as uh, the El Valley Partnership for Youth, uh, the Calistoga Schools Initiative. Um, I'm on the board of directors for the Belly family center. Yeah. You know, uh, since I've been here, we, uh, we were doing, I got to figure out how we're going to do this. We did national night out. So yeah. when I got a couple years ago when I started this, uh, every year we had been doing a, uh, a kid safety day, yeah. uh, up at Loughby park. Uh, we participated in the back to school night and every opportunity I can have to put a cop Either tabling or interacting or presentate presenting, I do.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that type of stuff really makes a difference, kind of, because um, I think there are several communities that don't make um, make it a it's that connection. And and kids, some kids will grow up with the perspective that a cop is not their friend. Where I think most kids do. Um, especially most kids in a demographic where, um, a community like this are, um, middle class or higher, but in cer- certain lower income areas, the cop is not seen as a, as a, as an ally. Um, and, you know, I think there's both sides there of connecting, being able to connect with those communities and do that. Um,
2: but it's a struggle. It, it is. Yeah. Our, our, is, it's a challenge with our Latino community. Yeah. Um, it's always an ongoing effort to, to share with them uh, that uh, There's their status in the community their immigration status has no bearing on the job that we do. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm very I'm very direct with the uh, uh, In groups that I speak to whether it's rotary or it's the ELAC, which is the English uh, Language learner, which is made of, uh, of Latino parents. Yeah the schools and just saying that uh you know we're here to provide a service and w- whether you're documented or not has nothing on the job we're gonna do and we can't do our job without the community you know people see you know whether it's domestic violence or theft or vandalism or whatever it may be and we rely on people to be willing to call us mm-hmm. on that and be willing to share what they're seeing and doing because I you know sometimes they're afraid and they don't really want to get involved yeah Um the other thing is that if they see or hear anything that uh, they feel that my staff has not been professional, then I tell them I can't fix something if I don't know it's broke or I don't yeah. know we're going off the rails. Yeah. And uh, I feel really strong about that. That uh, you know we have to hold the line. You know. Uh, you know I think the perception of a lot of people is that law enforcement we don't do a really good job of of uh, of uh, holding ourselves accountable. And you know, it's sometimes it's hard to it's hard to put an argument against that when you see some of these cases that come forward. Yeah. Right? So, but I also have a, a, a saying, I believe that you know you control what you can control. Yeah. And so you know, it's a lot easier for me to have to my spirit control or influence here in Calistoga to make sure that our police department is doing the things that we need to do, and we're doing it in a manner that's that's you know um, with compassion professionalism, uh, and, and fair, being fair and objective. And, uh, you know, I'm a realist. Yeah. We don't always hit the mark. Yeah. And I apologize if we met, ma- you know, we make a mistake. We need to apologize for that, but, uh, we always need to strive to, to do our best to hit that mark. And if we're not, then it's up to me as a chief to, uh, to do something about it.
0: Yeah. That's great. We have, I have one more question. And if you have any questions for me, um,
2: I try to explain to my staff that when people come to us they're in some sort of crisis yeah they're a victim of a crime they're not walking off the sidewalk going hey let's let's go in the police department and go say hi to the police yeah right (laughs) they're they're coming to us because you know they got arrested they got a ticket they're paying a fine they were a victim of a theft they need a restraining order they need something not a not a great time in their life yeah and so so as we interact with them you know, they're not happy people at the moment. And sometimes that gets carried over a little bit and we just need to understand that, you know, um, we're there, we're there to provide that service and that you deal with individuals on an individual basis. You know, totally. you had a bad interaction here, 10 minutes later when you're dealing with another person, car stop or whatever, don't take it out on them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any questions for, for me at all?
2: Yeah, I do. Okay. Actually. Yeah. So, um, Two things, yeah. two Some similar, similar vein. Number one is, what do you think of the Calistoga Police Department?
0: So that's a good question. So I I, I think the, the thing that, that's, that we're lucky, and we, we talked about this in the first time we met, is that um, one of the things that I've liked about the, the Calistoga Police Department is that there is a connection. You get to know everybody in this community. And so, within knowing and one of the reasons I wanted to get to know you is also to take away some of that anxiety of a community that I'm I want to see elevate and I know you want to see elevate Um, and so within that um, the few interactions I've had with uh, the police department here has been um, positive and professional Um, I can tell um, similar to what you've said I can tell that you know, you guys are wearing multiple hats um, sometimes, and um, and that in times like this, it's a thankless job. Uh, that I understand that the the um, you know the level of uh, crap that two percent of cops do it kind of hits everybody. But I I do think one of the things I, I was agreeing with you that that i just hope for is that when just like if i may do something wrong i'm held accountable for it and i hope the same thing for any citizen or any person that is in your shoes as a police officer goes through the same process and so i think i i've overall just had a, a um you know a positive response with the calcica police second part of that
2: question is yeah that- what would you like to see different or improved upon you know, as far as as council, what we do or how we do our business? Yeah.
0: I, I, I think the thing like, and even talking to you is, is, um, I don't know. I want to figure out a way to allow you guys to do your job without your hands behind your back, you know? And and I, I, don't know how to do that yet, because then I feel like I can come to you and ask for accountability for certain things and change certain policies and and uh, and I think that's a community effort in doing those things and figuring out, hey, my my expertise is fitness, you know, how can I offer that expertise so that I I, I do agree that there is a sociological, I mean there's a psychology piece to working out. And there's also the actual physicality of the job. And if you're you're strong in that area, you only increase your ability to do a better job. And so that's the area I know I can enhance. Um, but uh, I think that's that's the thing. Is it's not having this conversation is not necessarily saying What policy, what things would you change? I think the biggest thing is what things can you control now? I think having the open communication is something you can control now. But looking ahead over the next year or two, um, as we get through this COVID stuff, um, is there a, a way to say there is a need? I know a lot of people have a defund the police kind of statement. But I think it's more of can we reallocate those funds in a way It just makes the town more effective and if those funds are going in places where that's happening then I support that but I also want to say that if I think if we can help elevate what you guys can do I think it's just gonna overall help the community so that's kind of my my thought process is more can we get how do we get resources and how do we start with just the basics of what we can control right now without the resources in terms of communicating with the the community. Thank you. Thank you.